Patris, et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Hope you're all doing well on this Wednesday Vigil of the Ascension. Tomorrow is the Ascension of our Lord into heaven, the Ascension to his throne. Today we're going to be talking about the building of the kingdom of God, and this is all trying to give a context for what happens at the Holy Feast of Pentecost, which is barely nine days away. The Novena to the Holy Spirit begins on Friday, the Friday after the Ascension. And we're going to be talking about the two temples today, the two temples, or the tabernacle and the first temple, rather. And then we'll talk about the second temple, and then finally, the fulfillment of the type next week, which is ultimately fulfilled in its penultimate sense at Pentecost. So we'll talk about all those things that, uh, all those images, and we're going to talk, touch on a few important aspects of that today. Before we do that, I want to thank, again, all of our patrons. Patrons help this apostolate run by your prayerful and financial support. Thank you for your support. Uh, if you would like to support us, please go below at patreon.com slash Catholic. Support this apostolate. It's the link below. Also, once again, uh, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, the opening music is from him. You can also look into his music, the link below. So let's talk about the building of the kingdom of God. Now, we talked about how Eden is the kingdom of God. God creates the hierarchy of angels, which is the kingdom of God. He is at the top of the hierarchy. He is the king in the hierarchy of angels, which is the harmony. And then the voluntarism of the fallen angels wants to impose their will on this harmony so that it creates this dissonance and this ugliness both sort of in a musical sense, which is a, simply an image of the spiritual sense. So we've talked about how Genesis gives us this picture of these different lines building. They're both building things. One is building Babel, and they're building to make a name for themselves. They're building the city to make a name for themselves. And the righteous line is building an altar, an altar to call upon the name of the Lord. This is what unites heaven and earth, is the altar. The altar is the throne of God, the king, on earth. Because just as the wicked line sets up its own throne to itself, to its own name, which is imitating the voluntarism of demons, the demons are corrupting the cultists by exalting their own names, the names of these demons to be worshipped as gods and be passed down in, in the corruption of, of culture. So also the righteous line builds an altar to call upon the name of the Lord. And the altar to the name of the Lord is the throne of God on earth. So what does God do when he calls forth the Israelites to make them a people of God? by the hand of Moses in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is, to a large degree, an architectural book. It is building something. It is building the kingdom of God. 
And the kingdom of God, once again, is simply the hierarchy of angels and Eden. So it is the union of God with man. It is man joining the angelic chorus, the harmony of hierarchy. And this is ultimately seen in the book of Revelation, which is its final fulfillment. So we see the, the, this narrative of building throughout the text of the Holy Scripture, where there is, there is a, a spiritual building by a building in the commandments of God, when he builds by means of giving us his commandments, like, for example, the Ten Commandments is building this spiritual harmony. But there's also a literal building. They're literally building things to make an altar to God. And so what happens in Exodus? So we first have, um, if we go back to the beginning, so they're freed from slavery. We have ten plagues. The Song of Moses and Miriam is chapter 15. And they continue on. And the Ten Commandments are given in chapter 20. So this is really the beginning of the building is giving the commandments. And when you study these, we don't have time to go through all these different commandments. But when you study the different commandments that are given from the very beginning, God is forming a culture. He's forming a, he, ha, he first gives them the cultus, which is the Passover rite from the very beginning, before they even leave Egypt. He gives them this Passover rite. So this religious rite, which forms them as a people. And then he's establishing through the rest of Exodus, he's establishing a people. He's establishing these four elements of culture, which are first and foremost, the cultus, then the tradition, which, and then the tradition includes the commandments and all these understandings of what these things are. And then he's establishing also the eldership, which is the priest of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood to offer the sacrifice, to offer the cultus. And then finally, the piety, which is the fourth commandment, which is honoring, honoring thy father and mother, which is honoring the elders of the people to pass down the tradition to the next generation. So the commandments continue page 20 or chapter 23, chapter 24. And then if you're into chapter 25, we begin to see the integration of the cultus into an actual architectural building. Now this building is in fact a tabernacle. It's a tent. It is something that is a dwelling place for God on earth, which forms his throne on earth. So this is building literally the kingdom of God by giving God a throne on earth. And this is very crucial to understand what happens next. We'll talk about next week and, and after. Because God has a throne on earth, his rule is made effective on earth. If God is simply in the heavens, he is far away he's not concerned with man, then man can simply build his own kingdom on earth. But when, when God comes to establish his throne on earth, he's establishing his rule here among us. And this is truly something that challenges the pride of man. As we said last week with the Tower of Babel, there's, there's this joke in Genesis and how God says, let us go down and see let us go down and see. So there is this aspect of God coming down. There's, there's this continual aspect of God coming down and walking with man. And this is, goes back all the way to Eden. And we'll go through this, this narrative of God coming down and walking with man, setting his throne among man as the kingdom of God. This is the narrative throughout the scriptures. And this is why the incarnation becomes so 
uh, harmonious with everything that came before. So we have the beginning of this this construction. We have the construction of the tabernacle, this tent. Now, notice what what, what do we notice about a tent? A tent is not a, a permanent dwelling in this world. It is something that moves about. And so there's a certain amount of a transience to it, which is not as stable and permanent to this world as a the common temple was at that time because a temple obviously is carved out of stone it sits there but a tent moves around and so there's a uh, a level of transience there that is connecting it to the world to come to the hierarchy of angels now we continue with uh, chapter 26 um, now the let's see what chapter 25 so chapter 25 18 is when God commands 25:18 and you shall this is God speaking to Moses you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work shall you make them and on the two ends of the mercy seat so now we have not only building the throne of God but we also have a, an image of angels we have these statues of angels that God is commanding Moses to build and so this is connecting the throne of God with the hierarchy of angels because the hierarchy of angels is already the kingdom of God in heaven. And so that now that heaven is being brought into earth. So we have this construction of uniting man with the angels, with the angelic chorus. He's making the cherubim. And they create, when you, when you study this in detail, the architecture is really just a typology of the architecture of our church, of our churches. There are the veils, the, the, the separation, the physical separation between the inner parts of the altar, the Holy of Holies, and the, the rest of the people. Um, there are the holy garments for the priests. They have vestments. Um, they have uh, incense, um, ordinations for the priest, um, the altar of incense, the bronze laver. Uh, they have the skilled craftsmen. So, Here's another aspect of it is that God is creating his cultus. He is establishing his throne with beauty. Beauty is a manifestation of the metaphysical beauty of Logos. Logos himself, God himself, is beauty. And physical and audible beauty is what manifests that beauty that is beyond words. Metaphysical beauty, the beauty of being, the beauty of truth, the beauty of goodness which is manifested in the beauty of the tabernacle. So we have this central piece of, uh, of beauty. Now, what happens in 32 is that the Israelites turn aside, they build the golden calf. So they're building something else. And so we can, we can see a, a stark contrast when we, can, we, when we um, read uh, verse 32, verse 4. Uh, and he received the gold at their hand, this is Aaron, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molten calf. And they said, these are your gods. So they make this golden calf, which is contrast with the golden cherubim. The cherubim are looking up to heaven and worship of God. God has no image at this time. He is not become man. But they're creating, they're once again, it's building after the earthly city to exalt the the the, the name of man. Now, uh, the people who build the golden calf are destroyed, and God continues building. And in the book of Hebrews, it, it makes mention how God is building this tabernacle after the pattern of heaven. 
This is the pattern of heaven. So that's why this cherubim is there. Now, here's the key part, and then we'll get into the, the first temple as well. The climax of Exodus comes in chapter 40, verse 34. And it says this, and this is the, the key uh, typology that we are going to see when we get to Pentecost. Verse 34, then the cloud, so they, go, they spend all this time throughout Exodus from chapter 20 all the way to 40, doing all these ex- architectural buildings, going to all this great detail about the beauty and the rights and the commandments and all these things. And finally, this is what happened. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud abode upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all the journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would go onward. So that the main point here is that God, once again, comes down. But it's not in judgment, as at Babel. It is a cloud. It is an overshadowing which confirms the presence of God and his approval for this building. God has built man out of the earth as his image to be the image of his dominion. And then he has instructed man to build his, the cultist, the throne of God on earth, which is the altar. And then he finally overshadows this. He overshadows the tabernacle. Now this verb overshadows, is going to come up again next week at a very important time. So, keep that in mind. My live chat is not coming through again, so I'm just checking um, on everything. We're, okay, so now the first temple, we don't have a lot of time to go through all these things, but I'm just going to point out the the, the consistency through here. So, what happens is that God establishes his throne, and... The 12 tribes of Israel plus one, so there's actually 13 tribes to complete the typology of the 12 apostles plus one, which is plus Paul. So there's the the half tribe of Manassas and and Ephraim who form 13 total tribes. And they are all united in one cultus, the cultus of the Aaronic priesthood, which is established in Exodus at the tabernacle. But they reject this setup. They want to have a king over them as the other nations. Now, this is a rejection of God's sovereignty because God had already set it up with these 12 tribes. Each tribe had its own individual prince, individual leader who was leading them in their own area. And then there was the high priest who was offering the sacrifice in, at the, at the uh, tabernacle. And then in this sense, God was king. There was no greater king than the, than the, these, in terms of the kings of the earth, kings of man. There were simply these, these princes in, these, in each of these tribes. There was not a greater king than that except God's law and his priest. And so God was king in this arrangement, but they wanted to have an earthly king. Now, God accedes to their request. He first punishes them with Saul. He punishes them with a bad king. And then he raises up David as the king. And David is the man after going God's own heart, through which the Messiah will come to be the true king. So God sort of accedes to this request, and then he brings good out of evil, as the whole scriptures are a story of God bringing good out of evil. 
It's really answering the question of evil. This is how St. Thomas Aquinas answers the question of evil in his Summa Theologica. He says that how could God create evil? How could evil be uh, be allowed? Well, he says only if God could create good out of evil. And God creates good out of evil by acceding to their request to allow the king. And then through the king, he will incarnate his own personal rule in Jesus Christ. But the temple, once again, what is the temple? The, the tabernacle and the temple, the altar, are the throne of God. So God must have a throne to incarnate his rule. If the king does not have a throne, the king is, where is the king? How is the king going to rule? There, He needs to have a place of his rule, a place of his sovereignty, which is his throne, which is the altar and the tabernacle or temple. Now, so God promises to bless David in his son Solomon. And so through Solomon, he builds the first temple. Now, once again, we see the same imagery. So there is a an imagery of the beauty, just like in the tabernacle. So they're communicating the metaphysical beauty of Logos in the audible and physical beauty of the rite and the temple itself. So it's once again creating beauty. And this is why beauty is so important. We live in, in the era of the third iconoclasm where men have destroyed the beauty of our fathers and they've erected ugly churches but we see in the holy scriptures how important beauty is it's so important to make things that are beautiful because they reflect the metaphysical beauty of logos so and we see once again as well uh in the book of this is third kings six aka first kings if you're reading from a text with the hebrew names so verse uh chapter six uh, verse 22, we have once again the gold. And there was nothing in the temple that was not covered with gold. This is Solomon's temple, the first temple. The whole altar of the oracle he covered also with gold. And what do we find again? Verse 23, and he made in the oracle two cherubims of olive tree of 10 cubits in height. So a cubit is roughly the the length of from your elbow to your middle finger. So 10 of those is how high these cherubims were made. So these very large statues of cherubims, which again is hearkening to the heavenly hierarchy. So once again, it is the throne of God on earth. It is the union with God and man. The altar is the kingdom of God. It is the place of his rule, the altar. And then once again, Third Kings chapter 8, verse 9. There was nothing in the ark, except they're bringing the tabernacle, or bringing the Ark of the Covenant from the book of Exodus into the new temple built by Solomon. So it says, there was nothing in the ark of Moses, except the two tab tables of stone, which Moses put there in Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place... A cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So once again, we have the same action of God. At first, God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle and the altar. And then we have the cloud overshadowing. 
And then God acceded to the request for the king and he's bringing good out of evil. And he's making a temple to his name, which Solomon is building. And then once again, he builds and he overshadows. He overshadows with his presence, the glory of the Lord. So this is the, these are the images that are going to bring us into the building of the second temple. And then ultimately the building of the kingdom of God, the personal rule of Jesus Christ. And how do all these things connect and then are penultimately fulfilled in Pentecost? Pentecost is the penultimate fulfillment because the ultimate fulfillment is Revelation. When we go to the end of Revelation, that's the final building at the end of time. So we live in the time after Pentecost when God has made the final building before the end of time. So we'll talk about how all of this relates and how God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And what does it have to do with the second temple as well? There's a second temple because what happens is God comes to Solomon in, in uh, chapter 9. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built, and put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So he put his name there, not the name as at Babel, the name of man, but the name of God being consecrated in this place. And he is consecrating what God, what man has made for him, acceding to his request, bringing good out of evil. And as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish your ruler throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, there shall not fail you a man upon the throne of Israel. But... If you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among the people, and this house will become a heap of ruins." So God promises to destroy this very house that he has consecrated with his very presence if Solomon rejects him. And we're going to see what happens next, next week, because lamentably what happens is Solomon does fall and his, his son, under his son, the kingdom of Israel is divided. And we have the creation of the Samaritan religion and finally the destruction of the first temple. And then we're going to we're talk about what is so different about the second temple and how does this have to do with the kingdom of God and ultimately this the building of the kingdom of God, the overshadowing that will come very soon. So they are, we are getting into um, the fulfillment of Pentecost. And we'll get into this next week. So tomorrow is the ascension of our Lord. He ascends into heaven, ascending his throne. And we're going to see how the throne of heaven is being united with the, with the throne on earth, which is the altar to God. 
And that is what is uniting God with man in the kingdom of God, uniting him to the hierarchy, the harmony of angels. Says So that is all we have. Next week we'll continue on Wednesday. Um, so if you have any questions, comments, please like, subscribe. Please support us, patreon.com slash meaning of Catholic. So let's offer up in our Father for a blessed ascension tide for the coming of the Holy Spirit to come and overshadow us, to overshadow our work, to guide our work, and put us in union with God in the harmony, hierarchy of angels. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater nos dar quies in cedis, sancti vegetu nomen tuum, adveniet regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum danibus odie, debita nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et tenenos in duca sentitationem, se libera nos armalo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen.